Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I am glad you're here for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas, out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. State House and Senate budget hearings underway involving various agricultural agencies. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. I'm James Duncan with your East Texas report this week. It's all about the cold, cold, cold and its effect on East Texas agriculture. Beef and pork producers in the Texas High Plains have reason to celebrate what's already been happening with exports, but there's actually opportunity to keep growing. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about where the promising markets are on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. It's still too early to determine exactly how much damage was done to the Texas wheat crop by last week's winter storm, but we may have gotten through it with minimal losses. BASF agronomist Adam Hickson is based in the Lubbock area. He says the storm hit early enough that we may have dodged a bullet. We start to really worry about freeze damage, Um, I would say on average um, mid-March, so thankfully um, I feel like this uh, cold spell was early enough that a lot of our growers are going to get through it okay. And one reason for that is the amount of snow that fell during the storm. Yeah, I do feel like uh, we had enough snow cover and heck, you know, I'm seeing pictures from across Texas, far south as Uvalde. Uh, College Station, uh, Corpus Christi even got picked up a little bit of snow. Um, And so in those areas that grow uh, wheat, I do feel like we got enough cover. Dallas-Fort Worth got snow. uh, And as you move into northeast Texas, where there is quite a bit of wheat uh, planted, uh, we we got snow there as well. So what would you advise wheat growers to do at this point, Adam? I encourage growers to, you know, go out and when they can get out in their fields, uh, go out and check uh, that crown. And, you know, if you're seeing some uh, mushy growth, you know, on that stem, uh, yeah, you may have some, some damage. But if you're just seeing some leaf tip burn or something like that, wheat is pretty resilient and it will come back. It may be delayed a, a week or two, but I really feel like it's going to be okay. BASF agronomist Adam Hickson. Budget hearings are underway at the state capitol. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today from Austin is Harold Stone. He is Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director. And Harold, you join us today from the state capitol to talk about what is going on in the legislature and the budget hearings have started uh, in the House and Senate. Fill us in on uh, the beginning of that and and, uh, what that means for lawmakers. Yes, we had the budget hearings started last week, and of course, some had to get, be postponed because of the winter event that we had, so a lot of the schedules got jumbled around. When everybody got back on schedule,
schedule and started working this week. We began the week with a uh, budget hearing in the Senate Finance Committee on one of the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension agencies that we follow. And uh, coming up on Monday will be the Texas Department of Agriculture. That will get us through our two big agencies that we follow in the Senate and also our House Appropriations Committee. They have been appointed and also have set hearings for Monday, March 1st and Tuesday, March the 2nd. And what issues uh, will the Appropriations Committee uh, specifically be looking at that uh, obviously will be important for uh, farmers and ranchers across Texas? Well, obviously, they set the budget for these agencies. Coming into the session, each of these agencies took a 5% budget reduction. So they're working through all their budget issues on trying to make sure that they get the resources to carry out their mission. And also, we have some specific issues. I know we spoke earlier about the feral hog toxicant rider that's in the Department of Ag budget riders that uh, limit the research and money being spent on that. On Monday, when the Department of Agriculture is up, here, something from our cotton producers. I know one of the 5% reductions included a reduction in some of the bow weevil eradication funds that uh, have uh, historically been placed in the budget. And so I know that's a big concern from, I know our cotton producing counties about getting those funds restored back into the budget. Just making sure that these agencies get the resources they need to help out our farmers and ranchers. Yes, certainly uh, Texas AgriLife and the Texas Department of Agriculture are key agencies for Texas agriculture culture and uh, farmers and ranchers are uh, hoping for the best, uh, even though uh, the budget shortfall that was predicted last year is not nearly as much as uh, in reality as as they had predicted. Yes, we were very surprised when we got the uh, revenue uh, estimate from the comptroller when he came in and we didn't have as as much of a budget deficit as we thought we were going to have. Those comments today from Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director Harold Stone from Austin. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. East Texas is thawing out from the recent winter storm. James Duncan has the latest from Marshall. Well, just like everywhere else in the state of Texas, everybody's talking about the cold and what it has done to us. Here in East Texas, well, we're like everyone else in the cattle industry. The calving season is on here for many of our producers. That's been a difficult thing to monitor, but for the most part, we uh, came out pretty good, I think, according to all of the guys that I've been able to talk to the last couple of days. They're glad to see the sunshine, those, those, those old mama cows can take a little bit better care of those calves. Naturally, the haying and the feeding has been the difficult uh, part of the uh, industry uh, right now, but the big round rolls have sure played a part in making it easier to feed the cattle and getting more feed to the cattle that uh, need it, realizing uh, that it'll be a while before we can completely assess what this cold weather has meant to us in that industry and also the poultry industry. Now, I have not had the opportunity to travel the country the last couple of days so that I could see how many uh, poultry uh, operations are down. Uh, The snow load on these houses has been tremendous, so we're expecting a great deal of damage. And if you damage the house, then the birds are going to be damaged. You understand the the domino effect there. I, I know you do. So we're we're going to see some losses there. It'll be a while before they are completely assessed, uh, especially I have talked to the officials with the uh, Pilgrims group, and they said it'll be a while before we can give you an assessment on that situation, so we'll be waiting to hear that. Now, the timber industry is big here in East Texas, but it has uh, escaped also. The, the reason is we did not have 
a high percentage of moisture before the freezing starting. Those pine trees up here in this area, they take a lot of water. They got a lot of water. And uh, when it freezes up, that's when the damage comes. And uh, fortunately, the snow, when it fell, was uh, dry snow. Then we had a little ice came in on top of that. But for the most part, our timber industry, we've not uh, seen that great a damage right now. One of the aspects here in this area the last several years is our lakes and ponds, but particularly the Great Lakes that we have, like Lake of the Pines, Wright Patman, uh, Caddo Lake in particular, beautiful natural lake that everyone loves, Caddo. We've had a tremendous problem with the weevils. We had just made some inroads, and this freeze is going to help tremendously on Caddo Lake and the uh, Sylvania control. But now our weevil building that we had, we've worked hard, hard, hard to get a greenhouse to produce the beetles that attacked the Sylvania. And it was making great progress. But now we've had the greenhouse has been damaged. So we're going to have to start all over and come from the ground up again with a new building. This is James Duncan reporting from Marshall for Texas Ag Today. Beef and pork producers in the Texas High Plains have some promising markets on the horizon. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. Everyone knows the Texas High Plains is beef country, but our region is also pretty big on pork production thanks to the large farms in the northern panhandle. And for beef and pork, it's been great to see what's been happening with exports. A record year for pork in 2020 and expectations that beef exports will set records this year. In my recent conversation with Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, he told me that one market where U.S. pork exports are expected to climb is Mexico, where sales have been hampered in recent years by trade disputes and the pandemic. We really got a couple of gut punches there that we need to come back from, and there's a lot of room for pork consumption and demand to rebound in Mexico. So even though that's certainly not a new market, it's an area that we're anticipating excellent growth in this year and next year to get back to where we were when we were setting several consecutive records in Mexico. And Sheely says other prospects for pork export growth include Southeast Asia and Central America. On the beef side, Africa shows strong potential, and even though Europe continues to insist on accepting only NHTC product, that's beef from non-hormone-treated cattle, Sheely says U.S. beef is now being allowed in duty-free. We don't anticipate Europe ever being the high-volume market of, say, a Japan or a Korea or Mexico, but Europe delivers the highest price, generally the highest price per pound of any market where we sell beef. And so if we can get our business up there, that will uh, provide an excellent return for producers. And I think it will give producers more confidence if they want to get into a uh, an NHTC program, uh, give them confidence that there'll be more of a market for that product. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A wildlife association is working with state officials to secure aid for those affected by last week's freeze. I'm Jessica Domel, and I have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And rattlesnake bites on dogs can be very common during certain times of the year here in Texas. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. 
Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We have a lot of dogs in Texas and we have a lot of rattlesnakes. And when you put the two together, you're going to end up with dogs with rattlesnake bites. In fact, it's way more common in some areas of Texas than you might think. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. Rattlesnake bites in dogs are seen commonly in some areas of Texas, especially in South and West Texas. During the spring and summer, my colleagues in South and West Texas indicate they may see three to four snake bit dogs every day at their clinics during snake season. It has been reported that 90% of venomous snake bites occur from April to October. Snake bite venom is a complicated chemical, and the type chemical depends on the type and age of the snake. The venom contains a killing fraction, and it also contains enzymes to destroy tissue. The venom can attack multiple body organs and can cause severe damage to vessels and can affect the ability of the dog's blood to clot. The severity of the bite depends on the amount of venom injected and the location of the bite. If you have a dog bitten by a rattlesnake, the best thing to do is to quickly get the dog to a veterinarian. Although first aid measures of cold packs, tourniquets, and incision and suction have all been used, none have been shown to be effective. I am convinced that the use of antivenin is critical in treating snake bite cases in the dog and also in horses, and I will talk about that on another program. However, antivenin must be given early in the disease process, and although some dogs will survive without antivenin, their chances are much better with it. Antivenin is expensive, but worth the money, and it usually decreases the dog's time in the hospital and increases the rate of survival. If you're in a rattlesnake area, consider rattlesnake vaccine for your dogs. Although it will not prevent symptoms, most vets believe vaccinated dogs have decreased symptoms and a greater chance of survival. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A wildlife association is working with state officials to secure aid for those affected by the recent freeze. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Exotic wildlife raisers in Texas lost millions of dollars in animals during winter storm Uri. Charlie Seal, executive director for the Exotic Wildlife Association, told us on our last show the majority of those losses were black buck antelope and axis deer. Both species have less body fat than white-tailed deer and are not native to the U.S. And despite the best efforts of their handlers, many died. It was a devastating blow to the exotic wildlife raisers and to the industry. Well, a lot of these people, this is how they make their living. So obviously, it's going to be very devastating. We're trying our best right now through the Texas Department of Agriculture to work with them as well as USDA. On They have a program called the Livestock Indemnification Program. There are some remedies for traditional livestock, even though the exotics are considered in the Texas Ag Code as livestock. There may be some problems, and we're going to have to be very convincing of this on reimbursement on some of these animals. Typically, they pay for like infrastructure, like damage to roofs and water lines. And if you have to buy excess feed out of the norm, what you normally would buy, things like that is what they typically reimburse. But we're hoping that if we can get our industry declared a disaster, then maybe we can get some help for some of these boys. Exotics are a $2 billion industry in Texas that employs 14,000 people. 
Some of these guys don't have anything else except ranching. The guys that had those kind of losses, it set them really, really back. Seal says that is why it is so important for counties that sustained a lot of damage to be declared disaster areas so the raisers are eligible for aid. Again, that was Charlie Seal for the Exotic Wildlife Association. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, Friday was one of those days where everything moved to the downside. We had lower closes across the board in our agricultural markets. We'll take a closer look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Friday was a day of lower prices across the board in our agricultural markets. Livestock, cotton grains, all finishing in negative territory on Friday. We'll kick things off with a look at the cattle market where we saw triple-digit losses in both live and feeder cattle. February live cattle down 390 to close the week at 113.10, the April down $1.67 at 120 even. June live cattle down $1.71,1842. The feeder market seeing big losses also. March feeders down $1.75, $138.67. April feeder cattle down $2.50 at $142.57. The May down $2.15 at $145.07. Cash fed cattle market still somewhat slow for the week. We've seen limited sales throughout the week at $114 here in the south. And as you move up north, we did see higher prices. Reports of some Iowa cattle selling at one. 17 on Thursday, but overall, 114 seems to be the majority of the sales. Feedlots trying to hold out to get 115 and better. However, they've been fighting that futures contract. The nearby February, it was up as high as 117 on Thursday, but as we just mentioned, it dropped all the way down to 113 on Friday. So, a lot of headwinds against the feedlots to get those prices higher. You can't blame them though. Right now, the Packers looking at margins in excess of $400 ahead. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up another 85 cents, 241.24. Select up 99 cents at 229.78. Let's check the auction barns now. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. As livestock market auction barns reopen this week after the quote unquote winter break, Brian Lunsman at Seguin Cattle Company reported light numbers on cattle, however, a strong market for cattle and even a stronger market for sheep and goats. The run was light, JR. Uh, we anticipated that. I mean, we ended up with uh, right at 80 cows and bulls, but uh, I'd call the packer cows and bulls three to five better. And calf market is kind of hard to tell because not all the buyers were back in, but I think we did all right. On those two to three weight steers, up to a dollar fifty-five. Three to four weights, up to a dollar seventy-three. Four to fives, up to a dollar seventy. The five to six weights, up to a dollar sixty-eight. Six to sevens, up to a dollar thirty-three. When you get on the heifer mates, two to three weight heifers, up to 
to a dollar ten, three to fours, dollar forty, four to fives, dollar thirty-eight, five to sixes, dollar thirty-five, the six to seven hundred pound heifers up to a dollar twenty. You get on the pack of cows and bulls, top end of the cows brought seventy-four, top end of the bulls brought a dollar five. We had a couple of young palpated cows, they brought from seven hundred to nine ninety. Middle aged cows just four hundred to seven hundred. The sheep and goat market, it was a shootout. We ended up with almost eight hundred head of them. And uh, we made a few phone calls because like I said the pipeline was kinda empty and they brought them to town and they were good. Those good nannies they brought from two forty to three oh five. The good kids brought from three thirty to four dollars. You get into those dorpers from about hundred and sixty to two hundred and twenty five on the good use and on the lambs from three dollars to three sixty. So it was nothing to bark at. Brian Lundsman of Seguin Cattle Company in Seguin. That's it for today's edition of Walking the Pins from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, J.R. Gully for Larry Marble. Thanks, Jr. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs took a tumble on Friday. April down 260, 87.15. The May down 227, 88.87. Class 3 milk was lower. February milk down 2 at 1563. March milk down 28 cents, 16.28 a hundredweight. Well, the cotton market finally ran out of steam. We saw massive losses in the market on Thursday. We followed through with more losses on Friday. However, only double-digit losses this time. It looks like the market finally reached a point where it was overbought. Technically, the charts show that we need to move prices lower, so it wasn't all that surprising after gaining 12 cents in February that we would see a pullback at the end of the month. We closed with May cotton down 86 points on Friday, 88.83. July cotton down 66, 80. 9971 December down 45 at 8433 Big losses in the wheat market on Friday as well kind of the same thing we're seeing in cotton the market seems to be overbought technically on the charts things don't look all that great right now and wheat supplies not quite as tight as what we're seeing in corn and soybeans Weekly export sales report was flat this past week, so overall, some negative tones to the wheat market. July Kansas City wheat down 18 and a half, 637 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down 13 and a half at 650 a bushel. The corn market closing mixed with March corn up three quarters, 555 and a half. September corn down three and a half, 489 and a half. In the energy markets, April natural gas down a penny, 276. April crude oil down $2, 61.53 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 264 points, 31,137. The Nasdaq up 144 points at 13,264. The S&P 500 up six, 3,835. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for being with us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time with all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.